Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. Amen, amen. Man, I've, I don't know about you guys, but I've been loving this Galatians series that we've been diving into the last several weeks. And um, for those of you that are just now joining us, we've been in this book, Galatians, diving through this book for several weeks now. We just got a couple weeks left, including this week. And, and it's Paul's most intense um, letter that he wrote. It was originally a letter that he wrote to a group of churches in the area of Galatia, thus the name Galatians. And um, in this book, he just gives such an incredible, a powerful display of what the gospel is. And he shows, us, he shows us the truth of the gospel, what the gospel is, but also what the gospel is not. Gives us this full picture of the gospel. And thank God, man, praise God, that the gospel is a story about what God has done, about God's work, not our own. Amen? Praise, praise God for Jesus Christ in our, in our place. And through this letter, um, this book, Paul's shown us that in Christ, as, uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, in Christ we've not only been given salvation for our souls and a hope and a future of paradise with him for, forever, for all of eternity, but in Christ we've also been given freedom from the bondage and chains of, of slavery. And because of Jesus, we no longer have to live in those, those chains and those shackles anymore. And, and Paul calls, as part of this letter, he's calling us and encouraging us to live in the light of freedom that Christ died to give us. Not to go back to those bondage, the chains, and the shackles, and sin anymore, but to live in light of the freedom that God called, that Jesus Christ died to give us. And um, throughout this, this book, the majority of it, Paul's really been kind of laying this foundation, helping us to understand what the truth of the gospel is. That's what he's been doing the majority of the time. But then we saw this major shift in chapter 5. Paul, Paul shift, shifted from um, um, like doctrine to practice, from doctrine to practice. In other words, he shifted from giving us a, a basic understanding, a foundation of what the truth of the gospel is intellectually to how we actually live out the truth of the gospel in our everyday lives. Because a lot of times what happens, man, as Christians, we think about the gospel and we start thinking, man, this is a story that we tell people when we want to tell them about Jesus. Like that's what the gospel is. It's this story about Jesus and about salvation and that's it. And we kind of put it on the back burner, um, you know, any other days of our life. And the, and the sad reality is so few of us as Christians actually take that time to consistently tell people about Jesus. So the gospel is just completely on the back burner the majority of our lives as followers of Christ. Because that couldn't be further from the truth. The gospel is not just a story that we tell people when we want to tell them about Jesus. The gospel is like a fire that we have to continually be warmed by on a consistent basis so that we won't go cold and distant in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And on top of being warmed by the gospel, the truths of the gospel on a consistent basis, Paul also tells us that we have to be led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God in us on a consistent basis throughout our life. And the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this, he's, he's the one that makes us and molds us more and more into the image of Jesus throughout our life. And so in the text that we're going to be in today, Paul's going to kind of paint this picture of what this actually looks like, practically speaking. All these things that we've been talking about, what it looks like to live our lives in light of the freedom that Christ died to give us, what it looks like to actually be spirit-led, and what it looks like to actually um, just be led by Jesus throughout our lives. And what he's going to show us throughout this text is, as followers of Christ... We are called to authentic community with God and with each other. That's our big idea today. As followers of Christ, we are called to authentic community with God 
and with each other. And more than just called, guys, honestly, when we are continually warmed by the flames of the gospel, reminded of its truth, and we are, when we are honestly being led by the Holy Spirit throughout our life, we're going to desire authentic community. We are going to long for this. We're going to look for it in our lives. And why is that? Why are we going to long for it? Why are we going to look for it? Because ultimately, guys, that's what we were created for. And that's what you were saved for, for authentic community with God and with each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for what you've done for us. Jesus on the cross, we thank you. And we praise you. We give you all the honor and all the glory. We know that it's not in our power, but it's all in your power. This is your plan of redemption and what you have done for us in our place. God, I pray that you help us to be spirit-led Christ followers. I pray that you help us to take this from just a head knowledge of understanding what this means as Paul's kind of laid this out, this foundation for us throughout this text in Galatians, but to actually live this out practically in our everyday lives, to live out the gospel and to be people that never grow tired of this message of the gospel of what you have done, but that we continually are warmed by its flames and transformed by its truths and that we're led by the Spirit, God. I pray that you help us to surrender our lives, every aspect of our lives, over to you, over to your will, over to your way, and to be made and molded more and more into the image of Jesus. So when people come in these doors, they don't just see a bunch of people that are gathering together here. They see the love of Jesus Christ. They see the Holy Spirit. They feel the Holy Spirit tangibly in this place. God, that's what I pray over us, over every single one of us individually, but then also collectively as a body of Christ. And God, I pray as you... As you speak through me, God, I pray that you would just use me, a broken, sinful man, in desperate need of your grace every single moment of every single day. I pray that you speak through me, speak to me. I pray that you break chains. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just take over. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so we're going to go ahead and dive in um, here in the text today. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to pick up the end of chapter 5. So we kind of ended chapter 5, but what we're going to do is we're going to go over the last couple of verses in chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, don't freak out or anything. You don't have to like awkwardly try to look at your neighbor's Bible or anything. I mean, you can, I guess, if you want, but I wouldn't like try to make notes in it. But we're going to have it up on the screen. So we're going to go ahead and dive in here again. Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 25. Let's dive in here. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so in, the, in this text so far, Paul has encouraged the Galatian Christians to be led by the Spirit, as well as us that are reading this text, to be led by the Spirit. To crucify our flesh on a consistent, continual basis, and instead to surrender our life, our will, over to the power of the Holy Spirit's prompting in our life. And now he's going to start painting this picture. He's going to show us what this actually looks like when Christians are led by the Holy Spirit in their life. And he does this starting with verse 26. Let's read this again. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So as Paul is, he's kind of unveiling this picture what this looks like, being, being spirit-led. And as he's unveiling this picture, showing us what this looks like, first what he's going to do, he's going to show us what it doesn't look like. And Paul loves to do this. Like throughout this book in Galatians, if you've been, you've been tracking with us throughout this series, man, you're going to understand, you're going to know already that Paul, whenever he was telling us about the truth of the gospel, he showed us what the gospel is, but he also showed us what the gospel is not. Why did he do that? To give us this overall picture, the whole picture of the gospel. And so that's what he's doing in this moment with, with uh, being spirit-led and what this looks like. He's going to show us what it doesn't look like first so we can fully kind of grasp this and understand this practically in our lives. And the first thing, he does this through three different things, three different words um, in this text. The first one is conceit 
or conceited. Will be conceited. And, and this word in the biblical language, it literally means um, vainglory. Vainglory or empty of honor. Right? Vainglory or empty of honor. So in other words, it's this very deep um, resignated kind of insecurity where you feel um, like you don't have honor or you don't have glory. And it leads you in your life to try to earn it or try to look for it in other, in other places. It's like this void in your life. You constantly have to feel like you're constantly trying to fill it. And so you're trying to essentially prove your self-worth to yourself, but then to the other people around you. Like, I am good enough. I can do this. I am good enough. And you got to tell other people, I am good enough. I can do this. And we, sometimes we do it through those words, but a lot of times we do it through different words and different actions, constantly proving ourselves. And another thing with this is we constantly compare ourselves to other people. Like, what does this person do? How can, how can that person do that? I can't do that. Or what about this person over here? And, and it kind of conceit leads you to two different paths. It can lead you to this one path where you're kind of puffed up, and you become prideful because what you do is you start to see other people that are maybe, in, in your mind, you perceive them as weaker than you. And you think, oh, wow, well, why can't this person do this? I can do this. Why can't they do that? Right? You know, I mean, uh, you know, and, and you start getting really puffed up. And what you're doing is you're essentially using that person as a stepping stool. But it can lead you down another path, which is like the complete opposite. And you start, I mean, they're both insecure, but you start getting really insecure. And, and you start just, just feeling like, wow, I can't measure up to that. Wow, I, I wish I had what that person has. I want what that person has. I can't believe that. Like, well, how can they do that? I can't do that. A, pre- a really, really practical, quick example of this. I could have very easily um, um, actually put on this mindset the other day. So, so just to give you a little backstory, I am, a lot of people in here understand this already, but if you don't know me that well, I am not like a Mr. Fix-It. If you have got like a leaky faucet, if you've got something going on in your house, I would love to help you. Okay, I'm that dude that you call like a gopher or something. I think that's like the name for it. Like, hey, hey, go get that. Like, carry this over here. Put this nail in over here. Drill this. Like, I'm your guy if that's what you need. But if you need like a brain, like a, you know, a, a construction type of guy and they, they got that mindset, I'm not your guy, man. I'm probably going to mess it up, right? So, so understanding that, so we were in the building team meeting um, just this past week. And so we're talking about several different things, a lot of different things. But one of the things, obviously, you're going to talk about in a building team meeting is how to build a building, right? That's usually a good thing to talk about in a building team meeting. So, and that's not the only thing, there are different things. And so we're talking about this and like kind of practically how this is done. And a couple people are talking and, and, and describing just like how this is done. And, and it's probably, probably like using the ABCs of construction lingo. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I don't like break, you got to break this down Barney style, man. Like you could be saying the ABCs of construction lingo, but I stop at A. I'm like, what just happened? I don't know, man. And so, you know, it could have been very easy, just a practical example, to go away from that feeling like, wow, like, I don't know anything, like, feeling less than, almost feeling like a victim, like, dude, I feel like you just took my man card from me or something, you know, it would have been very easy for me to go away from that, and that's a lot of times what we'll do, different relationships, things people say, or things, you know, people do, we look at someone, we measure, we're trying to measure up to them, like, man, how did that person do that, I can't do that, and so that's this word concede, and, and it stems into provoking or provocation and envy, these two other so provoking, when you're provoking other people, that's when you're kind of taking that puffed up mindset. You're feeling kind of superior to other people. You start looking down at other people. And you intentionally start looking at the flaws in other people's lives. And you're doing this, when we start doing this from this mindset of provoking, we do this essentially, if you can picture this in your mind, we're trying to use people as like a stepping stone. 
We're trying to step essentially on top of other people and make ourselves feel better and puffed up. And it's this constant attitude like I constantly got to make myself look better and feel better and think that I'm better. But really deep down there's this void inside and we're using other people and try to really kind of mask that insecurity and build ourselves up. That's that provoking. And the envy part of it is the opposite where you feel like, man, you look at all these people, these, these different things that people can do, like, how can they do that? How do they have that skill or that, that gift? How do they know that, right? Like, well, why do they have that, that car over there, that Lamborghini or whatever, or, you know, that house over there? Like, I want that. I can't, why can't I have that? And you get really jealous. You start looking at other people, and through all of this, you're comparing, um, you know, and then it's not just comparing and wishing you had it, but it's also one of those things that gives, goes even a step further than that. You see somebody maybe that has like a mansion or something, and you're like, dude, if I can't have that, then somebody just needs to like burn that thing down over there, you know? Like if I can't have it, then I don't want him to have it. And it's just a really just very sinful, sinful um, desire and, and mindset that we take on. And with all of these, all three of these, what you see at the core as you kind of trace past the superficial layers is you start seeing, one, a very, very deep-rooted insecurity. Very deep-rooted insecurity. But then really at the core of all of it is a very deep-rooted selfishness. Selfishness is at the root of all of this. This is mindset that, like, you know, it's all about me. It's, it's my wants, my desires, my need, what I think I need in my life. And that's this constant mindset with this sinful, just, just selfishness. And it's a very me-focused mentality rather than, catch this, rather than an others-focused mentality. More importantly, rather than a God-focused mentality. Very selfish, me-focused mentality. And when we see the evidence of these things in our life really taking over in our life, what that is is the evidence of sin's control in your life. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed by Jesus. We've been set free from the bondage and the slavery of sin, which means we don't have to go down this road anymore, which means that our lives should not be characterized and defined by these things anymore. We are not defined by the sins that we struggle with. That, 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 the characteristic of our life, when you step back and you look at the overall picture, it shouldn't look like these things anymore. There's going to be something else that kind of characterizes our life. When you step back, you look at the overall picture of our life. And when I say that, I want to hit on something for just a second. I'm not talking about perfection. I want to make sure we understand. I'm not talking about perfection, Okay. We're still going to struggle. We live in a sinful, fallen world. We still struggle with sin. We've talked about this. Uh, use the example of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's like that Mr. Hyde that's kind of like rearing his ugly head every once in a while. Or like you, that movie Alien. You see that like this alien pop out. It's like, ah, you know, this monster or something. And, and so it's just kind of like that, that Dr. Jekyll that's kind of rearing its head every once in a while. You're going to see these things, in other words, pop up in your life every once in a while. You're not going to be, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about perfection. But what I'm saying is when you step back, you look at the overall picture of your life, your life's going to be characterized by something else. And that generates that question, well, what is it? What is our life going to be characterized when we are genuinely following after Jesus, when we are genuinely being led by the Holy Spirit in our lives? Check out what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. Okay, so I got a question. We're going to pause for a second. I got a question. It's like a pop quiz. You guys ready? All right. So what did Jesus say, or rather, how did Jesus say that the world would know that we are his disciples, that we belong to him? Our love. Exactly. You guys did great. 
awesome. Our love, man. The world, everyone will know that you are my disciples when you have love for one another. Our love. So in other words, guys, our life is not going to be, it's not going to be perfect. But when you step back, you look at the overall picture of our life, our life is going to be characterized by love. Love is going to be evident in our life through our thoughts, through our actions. And as we look at other people, you're going to see that love point out in our lives. But here's the thing. When we choose to carry with us a spirit of conceit throughout our life, then what's going to happen is you'll start to look through the lens of selfishness. And then all of your actions, as you're looking through this lens of selfishness, are going to be born out of a selfish ambition rather than out of love. It's, in, it's completely impossible for us to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, the world around us through the lens of love, when so often the lens that we choose to put on as followers of Christ is marred by sin and by selfishness. And see, so often what happens is, as followers of Christ, we've been redeemed by Christ, bought with a price, set free from the sin and the bondage of slavery, but so often we choose to put on these different lenses in our life, and we start looking through these different lenses, and I'm going to do this with one hand, this is going to be a little awkward here before we get to it. So we put on these lenses of, for example, like conceit, and we start thinking, man, looking around the world around us and it's like we look through this lenses and it completely changes the way we perceive things what we what we do our mindset what we're seeing everything has changed it's systemic throughout our body our actions and so this lens of conceit it's like I have to constantly compare myself what's this person doing what's that person doing am I good enough you know I got to constantly prove myself worth to myself and to these other people all the time and then we put on this lens to these other lenses of of provocation, provoking other people, provoking other people, and we constantly start thinking, "Man, I gotta, I gotta be good enough. I gotta be, I gotta look like I'm better than the other these other people. I constantly gotta, you know, put on this facade like I'm better than, like I can do all this stuff and make other people think that I'm, I'm better than them. And I don't want to tell myself this, but ultimately I'm doing this, using them as a stepping stone to fill that void in my life, that insecurity in my life, because I'm so insecure. But other people just think that I've got it all together and like I got everything going on and like I know how to do everything. But the really inside, I'm scared to death and I'm, I'm insecure." And so I'm, I'm wearing these lenses, and, and it's, again, it's changing my mind and how I'm perceiving different things and how I'm viewing the world and the people around me. And then we start putting on these lenses of, of envy, wanting all these different things that other people have, like this victim mentality. I wish I had that. Why don't I have that? I wish, you know, why don't I have that skill? Why don't I have that desire? God, why didn't you gift me in this area? Why didn't you call me to that over there, God? Why are you calling that person to that over there and I'm still stuck over here doing this or cleaning these toilets or whatever? You know, why, why, why can't I have that house over there? And if that person's got that, then I wish it. And I don't have it. If I can't have it, I wish it would just go away. I wish they, they, somebody would just go in there and like steal that car that they got or something. We constantly just wear these different lenses and seeing through these stained, filthy, um, sinful, uh, just uh, selfish lenses all throughout our life. The world around us completely corrupts the way that we think and the way that we act systemic throughout our life, translates to our actions. And the sad reality is so many of us as Christians, we live our life wearing these crazy, sinful lenses, marred by sin. And what happens is our life starts to reflect that sin, like envy or provocation or, or conceit. So our life starts to reflect those things more than, catch this, more than the love of Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, redeemed by his blood, marked by his blood, so many of us, our life starts to reflect and look like these sins, like conceit and provocation and envy, more than it does the love of Jesus Christ. So many Christians 
their life reflects sin and selfishness more than love. But guys, when we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we've been marked by the blood of Jesus. That means that we've also been set free by Jesus. That means that we don't have to wear these crazy lenses anymore. We don't have to wear these things. I'm actually going to throw them over there because I don't need them anymore anyways. We don't have to wear them anymore. We are free from those things. And we've been given the incredible opportunity to be, be able to put on the lens of Christ, who is the embodiment of what? Of love. Of love. So when we're putting on the lens of Christ, we are putting on the lens of love, seeing the people around us, the world around us through the lens of love. And guys, listen, when you are putting on the lens of Christ, the lens of love, seeing everything around you through that lens, it transforms your mind, your actions, everything around you. So when you look at other people, you're not comparing yourself to other people. You are longing and desiring for Christ to be made and molded in their life more and more. You're desiring them to look more and more like Jesus, to live in light of the freedom that he died to give him. You, you are desiring to, to come alongside them, to point them to Jesus, point them to the cross. You're desiring to see God work through their life to push back the darkness and their life and the people around them. And here's the other thing. You'll also, whenever you see gifts and talents in other people that have been given to them by God, you're not going to be jealous of those things and thinking, man, why don't I have that? Why can't I do that? You're going to look at those gifts and those talents that God has given or the mission, the, 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 the thing that God has called them to and you're going to rejoice in that. You are going to encourage them in that and say, man, that is awesome. Look what God has gifted you with. You should use that. That is incredible. Look where God is calling you. And you're going to encourage them in that. And you're going to know, you're going to have this mindset knowing that they are going to be used by God to accomplish his plan of redemption for the world, just like all of us are used by God to accomplish this same plan of redemption. Every single one of us. You guys, love is what should compel all of our thoughts, all of our desires, all of our actions in life, including, catch this, including the actions, the process of restoration. Love should compel that process of restoration. And no matter who the person is, no matter how big the sin is, our heart's desire, the passion of our heart, when it comes to restoration, it should always be for restoration and redemption, no matter who it is and no matter how big the sin is. Our heart should always be for restoration and redemption, looking through the lens of love. And when it comes to this authentic community that we're talking about, man, love is at the center of that. Love is at the center of authentic community. Love is the glue that like binds us together as the body of Christ, and when we're honestly being led by the Spirit, we're honestly looking at the world around us, the people around us, through the lens of love, then Paul says that we will be carrying one another's burdens. That's verse 2. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And don't miss the last part of that verse. Paul says, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, Paul's not saying, hey, this is, a, you know, maybe... Or, you know, you could, you could possibly do this. You know, the question mark there, if you have time, if you feel like it. Guys, what he is saying is if we genuinely want to follow Christ, if we genuinely want to obey Christ, then we will be, we will be carrying one another's burdens throughout this life. And, and, and it generates this question, well, man, how do you do that? How do you carry someone else's burdens? And what does that look like 
practically speaking. Because we talk about this, we read about this, carrying somebody else's burden, like, yeah, that's a good thing, we need to do that. But what does this actually translate to? What does this look like, practically speaking, when it's lived out in our lives? And we hit on a couple of the most important things, for one, being led by the Holy Spirit, but then also through looking through the lens of love, because it's impossible It is absolutely impossible for us to honestly carry someone else's burdens unless we are led by the Spirit and looking through the lens of love. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. There's something else that has to happen. If we're going to carry someone else's burdens, that means that we have to have a genuine relationship with them. And there's not a certain amount of time with that. We have to have known them long enough or know enough about them. But we have to have somewhat of a relationship with them. And here's the other thing. We have to know them intimately if we're going to honestly carry someone, uh, someone else's burdens. In other words, if we're going to carry somebody else's burdens, guys, two things we have to be present in our life. Intimate community and accountability. Intimate community and accountability has to be present in our life on a consistent basis if we are honestly going to be able to carry someone else's burdens. And when it comes to these things, you're talking about intimate community accountability. You're like, okay, what does this look like? And nobody else displayed this better than guess who? Jesus. Nobody displayed this better than Jesus. When you look at the Gospels, when you look at the the life of Christ, you see him constantly all throughout the Gospels meeting people where they're at. He's he's looking at somebody. When he's spending time with somebody, he's looking right at them like, I I see you. He's being intentional with that person. He's being in the moment with that person as if that person is the most important person on the planet to him. And he's showing them affection. He actually cares for them. And you see this all throughout the Gospel, but one of my favorite places um, to see this, one of my favorite stories and seeing God, Jesus being intentional with somebody and looking at them and meeting them where they're at is found in Luke chapter 5. And you see that all throughout that chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. There's several pictures of that. But my favorite one is of a leper. In this leper, in this story, the word tells us that he was covered. It was all over him. He was covered in leprosy, not just a little bit. And leprosy, what we have to understand is this is an extremely nasty disgusting disease very nasty very disgusting if you had leprosy in that day and age even just a tiny bit of leprosy then you would have been deemed declared by the priest in that day and age as unclean he would have declared that over you are unclean like imagine carrying that out around in your life as an identity marker i am unclean right like if people looked at him they would have looked at him in complete disgust they even looked at him at all. Most of the time, they wouldn't. People wouldn't look at these guys. If they saw them, if they even got remotely close, they would run and sprint, even in the opposite direction. And with this disease, what happened is it attacks your nervous system. It attacks your nervous system. It renders the person that has leprosy completely incapable of feeling any pain whatsoever. You can't feel pain. And then over a period of time, um, infection starts to set in. As that infection grows worse and worse, setting in throughout your body, your your tissues all throughout your body start to just completely degenerate and fall apart. And literally, like, your flesh starts to fall off of your body as it's completely degenerating around you. So bad that literally limbs can just fall off from your body. What happens to a person that has leprosy, literally, not exaggerating, is they fall to pieces. That's literally what happens. And if that's not bad enough, you're, you're falling to pieces and you can't do anything about this. On top of that, you were completely shunned by the community in that day. You were, you were shunned. You were isolated. You were not allowed to be in the community. You had to live outside of the community 
by yourself. No community, uh, no time with other people, nothing. You were shunned. And if you happen to come across someone else, and let's say you were even minding your own business, doing your thing, somebody else comes out, and you're outside of the community, but if they happen to kind of somewhat, not just like a foot or two, not touching them, but even like way over there and see you, this is what you had to do. You had to yell out, unclean, unclean, acknowledging that you are unclean so that person could then shun you. That's what they had to do. And if they got close enough to the person, even on accident, they started getting closer to them, then oftentimes what, what would happen, the majority of the time really, what would happen is people would start spitting at them. They would spit at them, and they would throw rocks at them, and they would curse at them. All the time, all the while, this person's yelling out, unclean, unclean, so that other people could shun them. So these people lived in isolation as outcasts. Nobody wanted them. Really, they just wanted them dead. Living in isolation, nobody would show them affection, much less touch them at all. And so you, you, you imagine this person that's just got leprosy. It's all over his body. And so he's probably in this picture. We don't get the whole picture, but I'm thinking of this guy. You know, he hasn't seen. He can't see people. He's probably got a family. There's a good chance he had a wife, that he had kids, and then he developed his leprosy, and all of a sudden he can't live with them anymore. So he's probably taking these opportunities to try to creep in the city, hiding behind something, like hoping nobody sees it so he can just see other people. Like maybe I can see my kids. Maybe I can see my wife. Maybe I, can, I just want to see other people, and maybe I can't, I can't go over there and talk with them, but it, maybe at least I can see them and see them talking with someone else because I just really want to spend time with somebody but you know this is the best I can do and so I'm imagining him kind of doing that and just like all of a sudden he starts overhearing things about this Jesus guy because what he's doing is works and the fact that he's healing people it's going around all over the pitch like people can't stop talking about this Jesus he's healing people and it's crazy it's awesome people getting up all of a sudden that have been laying their whole life he's hearing these stories and then he's all of a sudden he hears Jesus is going to be in town he's going to be in town and then somebody says yeah and he's over there he's actually He's over there right now. And so what does this do? This dude makes a beeline for Jesus. He sprints in the direction of Jesus in full abandonment. And, and I imagine this guy, as he's running through the community, again, he's a leper. So he has to yell out, unclean, unclean. People are throwing rocks at him. They are spitting at him. They're cursing him. I can imagine like these guys, these big old strong guys too, like with family members, they're getting really mad. They're throwing these huge rocks. This guy is literally risking his life by doing this. Everything else goes out the window. Nothing's going to stop him from getting to Jesus. When he gets to Jesus, this is what he does. He falls down on his face and at Jesus' feet. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus does something. He says something, but more importantly, he does something that is absolutely amazing. Check this out. This is Luke chapter 5, verse 13. He says, reaching out his hand. This is Jesus. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And so maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, well, what is the amazing part there? What's the amazing part? And see, that's why we can't skim past this. Because Jesus did something so amazing there. The amazing part isn't the, for one, Jesus, the God of the universe, took the time to look at this man when nobody else would look at him he looked at this man like i see you i i see where you're at i want to spend time with you he showed him affection and love when everybody else wanted to isolate him and shun him 
And he also took the time to listen to him when nobody else would listen to him. And then he heals him. But the amazing part isn't all of that. The amazing part is how he healed him. Because in this text, what happened was Jesus, after he listens to him and spends time with him, he then reaches out his hand and he touches this man. His, his flesh that is just disgusting, rotting off from his body, just boils and nasty, hasn't been touched in probably years, and probably just smells horrible. And he reaches out, the God of the universe, and he touches this man. And then, after all that, he heals him. And guys, this is God. He could have spoken the word and healed the guy. He didn't have to touch him. He didn't have to touch him. See, Jesus stepped into this man's situation. He stepped into his situation. He met him where he at. He listened to him when nobody else would. He looked at him when nobody else would. He showed him affection and love when everybody else wanted to shun him. He reached out and he touched this man's rotting, nasty, decaying flesh. And then after that, after all of that, then he heals him. See, guys, what we have to understand is Jesus Christ does not wait until you're like at a certain level of sobriety. He doesn't wait until you've got things all together in your life, like, you know, that pornography maybe that you're struggling with or the addiction that you're struggling with, the anger that you're struggling with, or, you know, anything else that you're stealing, whatever it may be, codependency. He doesn't wait until you have your stuff together, until you have it figured out. You've reached a certain level of sobriety or perfection. It's not about you being perfect. It's about Jesus being perfect in our place. See, Jesus steps into our situation, and he meets us where we are at in in our filth, in our muck, in our sin. We are drowning in sin. And here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, we're called to do the same. We are called to step into other people's situations, into their muck, their filth, and meet them where we are at, they are at. And guys, the Holy Spirit is calling us. He is calling us, and really he's commanding us to people and to places that we would have never even dreamed. Looking through the lens of sin and stain and selfishness, we would have never dreamed of going to those places or going to those people, talking to those people, spending time with those people. Are you kidding me? There's no way. But looking through the lens of Christ, through the lens of love, that is when even a leper is a beautiful creation of God who was made in the image of God with incredible value and worth. When we are looking through the lens of Christ, the lens of love. And in this story, don't miss what the leper did. We can learn so much from what this guy did in this story. This guy, he recognized his filth. He recognized his need for Jesus in his, in his filth, and there was nothing that he could do about it. And nothing was going to hold him back from getting to Jesus. In complete abandonment, pride is out the window. Um, you know, anything else is out the window. Even, I mean, he risked his very life to go there. I mean, he was screaming, unclean, unclean. The rocks coming at him, even big rocks. Again, risking his life. They could have just stoned him to death, spitting at him, people cursing him. Everything's out the window. He's complete abandonment because nothing is going to keep him from getting to the feet of Jesus and getting the healing that he knows only Jesus can give him. But here's the thing. Here's the sad reality. So many of us as Christians, we will refuse because of either pride or selfishness or insecurity or whatever it may be. We struggle with sin that is eating away at our lives like a cancer and keeping us from the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give us. 
but we refuse to even tell one person to get prayer and to receive the healing that Jesus died to give us. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. But so few of us, man, as Christians, actually take this seriously. And we're unwilling to even have one accountability partner in our life that we're honest with. And this isn't just somebody that's drowning in sin, somebody that's really struggling with sin in their life, guys, or that's swayed a lot. This is every single one of us as followers of Christ. Our call to this on a consistent basis. We are never, a lot of times we, we, there's Christians and we, we struggle with this and all of us have the temptation to struggle with this. We think this is mindset that, you know, I've reached a certain level of maturity in my life. I know Christ. I've been a Christian for a long time. I can do this. I got this. And we start becoming like this lone ranger doing this all on our own. And we think I'm above sin. I'm above all this other stuff. I'm not going to be tempted by that. I got this. I've done this before. And we start taking on this crazy mindset like we are above sin or we're above temptation but if that's you today and you're struggling with that mindset listen to what Paul says next in verse 3 he says for if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing listen to this last part he deceives himself he deceives himself in other words Paul is saying guys it is foolish and love, it is foolish to think that you are above temptation or that you are above sin. No matter how much Christian maturity that you have received in your life, no, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you've walked this journey with Jesus, every single one of us has an absolute need, absolute need for intimate community with the body of Christ and for accountability. And when it's not seen in our life, when it's not fostered and nurtured in our life and on a consistent basis, then hear me, in love, you will fall. You will fall when you do not have that constant Christian community in your life and accountability. And the last text we're going to be in, verses 4 through 5, so Paul says, let each person examine his own work. And then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else for each person will have to carry his own load and when he says load in that in that text right there what he's referring to Paul's referring to the load that God has given every single one of us individually as followers of his see every single one of us as followers of Christ are given a certain load are called to certain things are given certain gifts every one of us by God so in others is completely ridiculous ridiculous it is foolish like do not waste your time comparing yourself to your brothers and sisters in Christ because it is less about the person that is called or the person that is gifted and it's more about the God that is called that person and working through that person we are wasting our time when we try to compare ourselves to each other and hear me if you're here today and you struggle with that you struggle with, with kind of comparing yourself and we've all been there I've been there man I struggle with this sometimes in my life and if you're really struggling with that, then hear me on this, man. The same God that raised up Abraham, that raised up Isaac, 
that raised up Jacob, the same God that worked in King David's life, the same God that worked in the Apostle Paul, that worked in the Apostle Peter, any other spiritual giant that you can think of, this same God that created the universe and everything in it and sustains this universe and everything in it is the same God that lives in every single one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. The same God lives inside of you and works through you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Guys, don't ever think that the gifts, the talents that God has given you or the things that God has called you are somehow less than or insignificant. God doesn't make junk. And he doesn't make mistakes. And every single one of us as followers of Christ are being used by him to accomplish his plan of redemption for this world. Every single one of us. But it's imperative. We have to be spirit-led. We have to be led by the Spirit. And we have to be living in authentic community, Christian community, on a consistent basis where we're seeing other people through the lens of Christ. We're carrying one another's burdens, an intimate community with each other and accountability. And we're honestly being used by Jesus to push back the darkness in our community. And when we're being led by the Spirit, and when we're living in authentic Christian community, then what's going to happen, guys, is we'll be continually molded and shaped by the gospel in each other's lives. And we'll be used together as one body of Christ to accomplish this plan of redemption here, right here in Morganton, North Carolina. And I want to encourage you guys, and I said this last week, I ended on this last week. God's given us a vision as this church, as a church, and and rather than just being a church that, that talks about this vision or prays about this vision, I hope that we can do this one day. Let's be a church that actually lives this vision out. The vision of a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. And let's be a church that pushes back the darkness right here where God has planted us in Morganton, North Carolina. Worship team, you guys can come on out. Because no matter where you're at in your, in your life right now, if you're somebody that's never been impacted by the gospel, you've never responded to the gospel to Jesus, and maybe God's working on your, your heart right now, the Holy Spirit's kind of convicting you of some things. Like we talked about, man, Jesus meets us where we're at. So often the things that hold us back it's ourself. It's the, the sin that we struggle with when we think we have to reach a certain level of sobriety. We have to be good enough in order to, to actually have a relationship with God. But this story is not about what we have done. It's not about our perfection. It's about what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. And it's about His perfection. We are covered by His righteousness from head to toe. That's what makes us right before God. And so if you're here today and you've never responded to the gospel, responded to Jesus, then I want to encourage you, man, don't wait. He will step into your situation. He already has through the cross. And he will meet you where you're at. He'll save you where you're at. And if you're here today, and, and as we've been talking about authentic community, and we've been talking about accountability and what this looks like, being led by the Spirit, and you're looking at your life and you're thinking, man, I've really been doing things my way. I haven't really been led by the Spirit. I haven't really been submitting to His power and really spending time with God. We talked about Jesus being our first love, spending time with my first love. 
I haven't been really seeking accountability. I don't even have one accountability partner. As we've been talking about these things, God's kind of convicting you of that. Then I want to encourage you, man, don't, don't wait. Don't wait to respond to him. He loves you. He will use you. Guys, don't be afraid to respond to him and don't be afraid to seek authentic community because it's when we step outside of our comfort zones, that is when God does something incredible in our life and through our life. And that is when God will do something incredible in the life of this church to be an impact in this community that he's planted us in. We're going to go ahead and stand together. As, as we stand together, we're going to worship with one last song. But again, don't wait to respond to him. He loves you so much. He'll meet you right where you're at. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I, just want, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out uh, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. 
So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we are we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.